Chapter Fifty Eight of Is He Pope and Joy? This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Barry O'Neill. Is He Pope and Joy by Anthony Trollope? Chapter Fifty Eight. Mrs. Jones' Letter. A few days before Christmas, Mary received a long letter from her friend, Mrs. Montacute Jones. At this time there was sad trouble again at Manor Cross. Lord George had been away for a fortnight, and no reason for his departure had as yet been given to the Marchioness. She had now become aware that he was not going to be at home at Christmas, and she was full of doubt, full of surmises of her own. He must have quarrelled with his sisters. They all assured her that there hadn't been an unpleasant word between him and any one of them. Then he must have quarrelled with his wife. Indeed, indeed he has not, said Mary. He has never quarrelled with me, and he never shall. Then why did he stay away? Business was nonsense. Why was he going to stay away during Christmas? Then it was necessary to tell the old lady a little fib. She was informed that Brotherton had specially desired him to leave the house. This certainly was a fib, as Brotherton's late order had been of a very different nature. "'I hope he hasn't done anything to offend his brother again,' said the Marchioness. "'I wonder whether it's about Popenjoy. In the midst of her troubles the poor old woman's wits were apt to wander. Mary, too, had become rather cross, thinking that as her husband was up in town she should be allowed to be there too.' But it had been conceded by her, and by her father on her behalf, that her town life was not to begin till after Christmas, and now she was unable to prevail. She and the family were in this uncomfortable situation when Mrs. Montacute Jones's letter came for her consolation. As it contained tidings, more or less accurate, concerning many persons named in this chronicle, it shall be given entire. Mrs. Montacute Jones was a great writer of letters, and she was wont to communicate many details among her friends and acquaintances respecting one another. It was one of the marvels of the day that Mrs. Jones should have so much information, and no one could say how or whence she got it. Curry Hall, December twelfth, eighteen seventy, blank. Curry Hall was the name of Mr. Jones' seat in Gloucestershire, whereas, as all the world knew, Killancodlem was supposed to belong to Mrs. Jones herself. Dearest Lady George, we have been here for the last six weeks, quite quiet, a great deal too quiet for me, but for the three or four winter months I am obliged to give way a little to Mr. Jones. We have had the mild maze here, because they didn't seem to have any other place to go to, but I barred the Baroness. I am told she is now bringing an action against Aunt Jew, who unfortunately wrote the letter which induced the poor woman to come over from wherever she came from. Poor Aunt Jew is in a terrible state and wants her brother to buy the woman off, which she will probably have to do. That's what comes, my dear, of meddling with disabilities. I know my own disabilities, but I never think of interfering with Providence. Mr. Jones was made a man, and I was made a woman, so I put up with it, and hope you will do the same. Mr. and Mrs. Green are here also, and remain till Christmas, when the giblets are coming. It was the prettiest wedding in the world, and they have been half over Europe since. 
I am told he's the happiest man in the world and the very best husband. Old Gosling didn't like it at all. Every stick is entailed, and they say he's likely to have gout in his stomach, so that everything will go pleasantly. Lord Giblet himself is loud against his father, asking everybody whether it was to be expected that in such a matter as that he shouldn't follow his own inclination. I do hope he'll show a little gratitude to me, but it's an ungrateful world, and they'll probably both forget what I did for them. And now I want to ask you your opinion about another friend. Don't you think that Jack had better settle down with poor dear Gus? She's here, and, upon my word, I think she's nearly broken-hearted. Of course, you and I know what Jack has been thinking of lately. But when a child cries for the top brick of the chimney, it is better to let him have some possible toy. You know what top brick he has been crying for. But I'm sure you like him, and so do I, and I think we might do something for him. Mr. Jones would let them a nice little house a few miles from here at a peppercorn rent, and I suppose old Mr. Mildmay could do something. They are engaged after a fashion. She told me all about it the other day. So I've asked him to come down for Christmas, and have offered to put up his horses if he wants to hunt. And now, my dear, I want to know what you have heard about Lord Brotherton at Manor Cross. Of course we all know the way he has behaved to Lord George. If I were Lord George I should not pay the slightest attention to him. But I am told he is in a very low condition, never sees anybody except his courier, and never stirs out of the house. Of course you know that he makes his wife an allowance, and refuses to see her. From what I hear privately I really do think that he'll not last long. What a blessing it would be! That's plain speaking. But it would be a blessing. Some people manage to live so that everybody will be the better for their dying. I should break my heart if anybody wanted me to die. How grand it would be, the young and lovely Marchioness of Brotherton! I'll be bound you think about it less than anybody else, but it would be nice. I wonder whether you'd cut a poor old woman like me without a handle to her name. And then it would be Pope and Joy at once. Only how the bonfires wouldn't burn if it should turn out to be only a disability after all. But we should say, better luck next time, and send you coddle-cups by the dozen. Who wouldn't want to send a coddle-cup to a real, young, lovely, live marchioness? I'll be bound your father knows all about it, and has counted it all up a score of times. I suppose it's over forty thousand pounds a year, since they took to working the coal at Popenjoy. And whatever the present man has done, he can't have clipped the property. He has never gambled, and never spent his income. Italian wives and that sort of thing don't cost so much money as they do in England. Pray write and tell me about it. I shall be in town in February, and of course shall see you. I tell Mr. Jones that I can't stand Curry Hall for more than three months. He won't come down to town till May, and perhaps when May comes he'll have forgotten all about it. He is very fond of sheep, but I don't think he cares for anything else, unless he has a slight taste for pigs. Your affectionate friend, G. Montacute Jones. There was much in this letter that astonished Mary, something that shocked her, but something also that pleased her. The young and lovely Marchioness of Brotherton. Where is the woman who would not like to be a young and lovely Marchioness? 
so that it had all been come by honestly that the husband had been married as husbands ought to be married and had not been caught like lord giblet and she knew that her old friend her old friend of whom she had not yet known for quite twelve months was only joking with her in that suggestion as to being cut what a fate was this in store for her if it really was in store that so early in life she should be called upon to fill so high a place then she made some resolutions in her mind that should it be so she would be humble and meek and a further resolution that she would set her heart upon none of it till it was firmly her own but it shocked her to hear that the marquis should be so spoken of especially that he should be so spoken of if he were really dying plain speaking yes indeed but such plain speaking was very terrible this old woman could speak of another nobleman having gout in his stomach as though that were a thing really to be desired and then that allusion to the italian wife or wives poor mary blushed as she thought of it but there was a paragraph in the letter which interested her as much as the tidings respecting lord brotherton could it be right that jack de baron should be made to marry gus mildmay she thought not for she knew that he did not love gus mildmay that he should have wanted an impossible brick whether the highest or lowest brick was very sad when children cry for impossible bricks they must of course be disappointed but she hardly thought that this would be the proper cure for his disappointment there had been a moment in which the same idea had suggested itself to her but now since her friendship with jack had been strengthened by his conduct in the deanery garden she thought that he might do better with himself than be made by mrs jones to marry gus mildmay of course she could not interfere but she hoped that something might prevent jack de baron from spending his christmas at curry hall she answered mrs jones letter very prettily she trusted that lord giblet might be happy with his wife even though his father should get well of the gout she was very sorry to hear that lord brotherton was ill nothing was known about him at manor cross except that he seemed to be very ill-natured to everybody she was surprised that anybody should be so ill-natured as he was if ever she should live to fill a high position she hoped that she would be good-natured she knew that the people she would like best would be those who had been kind to her and nobody had been so kind as a certain lady named mrs montacute jones then she spoke of her coming trial don't joke with me about it any more there's a dear woman they all flutter me here talking of it always though they mean to be kind but it seems to me so serious i wish that nobody would speak to me of it except george and he seems to think nothing about it then she came to the paragraph the necessity for writing which had made her answer mrs jones letter so speedily i don't think you ought to persuade anybody to marry any one it didn't much signify perhaps with lord giblet as he isn't clever and i dare say that miss green will suit him very well but as a rule i think gentlemen should choose for themselves in the case you speak of i don't think he cares for her and then they would be unhappy she would not for worlds have mentioned captain de baron's name but she thought that mrs jones would understand her of course mrs jones understood her had understood more than mary had intended her to understand christmas was over and mary was up in town when she received mrs jones rejoinder but it may as well be given here the child who wanted the top brick is here 
and I think will content himself with a very much less exalted morsel of the building. I am older than you, my dear, and know better. Our friend is a very good fellow in his way, but there is no reason why he should not bend his neck as well as another. To you, no doubt, he seems to have many graces. He has had the great grace of holding his tongue, because he appreciated your character. Mary, as she read this, knew that even Mrs. Montacute Jones could be misinformed now and then. But I do not know that he is in truth more gracious than others, and I think it quite as well that Miss Mildmay should have the reward of her constancy. But this was after Christmas, and in the meantime other occurrences had taken place. On the 20th of December Lord George was informed by Mr. Knox that his brother, who was then at Naples, had been struck by paralysis, and at Mr. Knox's advice he started off for the northern capital of Italy. The journey was a great trouble to him, but this was a duty which he would under no circumstances neglect. The tidings were communicated to Manor Cross, and after due consultation were conveyed by Lady Sarah to her mother. The poor old lady did not seem to be made very unhappy by them. "'Of course I can't go to him,' she said. "'How could I do it?' When she was told that that was out of the question, she subsided again into tranquillity, merely seeming to think it necessary to pay increased attention to Mary, for she was still quite alive to the fact that all this greatly increased the chances that the baby would be Popenjoy. But even in this the poor old lady's mind wandered much, for every now and then she would speak of Popenjoy as though there were a living Popenjoy at the moment. Lord George hurried off to Naples, and found that his brother was living at a villa about eight miles from the town. He learned in the city, before he had made his visit, that the Marquis was better, having recovered his speech and apparently the use of his limbs. Still, being at Naples, he found himself bound to go out to the villa. He did so, and when he was there his brother refused to see him. He endeavoured to get what information he could from the doctor, but the doctor was an Italian, and Lord George could not understand him. As far as he could learn, the doctor thought badly of the case, but for the present his patient had so recovered as to know what he was about. Then Lord George hurried back to London, having made a most uncomfortable journey in the snow. Come what might, he didn't think that he would ever again take the trouble to pay a visit to his brother. The whole time taken on his journey and for his sojourn in Naples was less than three weeks, and when he returned the new year had commenced. He went down to Brotherton to bring his wife up to London, but met her at the deanery, refusing to go to the house. When the Marchioness heard of this, and it became impossible to keep it from her, she declared that it was with herself that her son George must have quarrelled. Then it was necessary to tell her the whole truth, or nearly the whole. Brotherton had behaved so badly to his brother that Lord George had refused to enter even the park. The poor old woman was very wretched, feeling in some dim way that she was being robbed of both her sons. "'I don't know what I've done,' she said, "'that everything should be like this. I'm sure I did all I could for them. But George never would behave properly to his elder brother, and I don't wonder that Brotherton feels it. Brotherton always had so much feeling.' I don't know why George should be jealous because Popenjoy was born. Why shouldn't his elder brother have a son of his own like anybody else? And yet, whenever she saw Mary, which she did for two or three hours every day, 
she was quite alive to the coming interest. It was suggested to her that she should be driven into Brotherton so that she might see George at the deanery. But her objection to go to the dean's house was as strong as was that of Lord George to come to his brother's. Mary was, of course, delighted when the hour of her escape came. It had seemed to her that there was especial cruelty in keeping her at Manor Cross while her husband was up in town. Her complaints on this head had, of course, been checked by her husband's unexpected journey to Naples, as to which she had hardly heard the full particulars till she found herself in the train with him. After going all that way he wouldn't see you? He would neither see me or send me any message. Then he must be a bad man. He has lived a life of self-indulgence till he doesn't know how to control a thought or a passion. It was something of that kind which was meant when we were told about the rich man and the eye of the needle. But you will be a rich man soon, George. Don't think of it, Mary. Don't anticipate it. God knows I have never longed for it. Your father longs for it. Not for his own sake, George. He is wrong all the same. It will not make you happier, nor me. But, George, when you thought that that little boy was not Popenjoy, you were as anxious as papa to find it all out. Right should be done, said Lord George, after a pause, whether it be for weal or woe, justice should have its way. I never wished that the child should be other than what he was called, but when there seemed to be reason for doubt, I thought that it should be proved. It will certainly come to you now, George, I suppose. Who can say, I might die to-night, and then Dick Germain, who is a sailor somewhere, would be the next Lord Brotherton? Don't talk like that, George. He would be, if your child happened to be a girl, and Brotherton might live ever so long. I have been so harassed by it all that I am almost sick of the title and sick of the property. I never grudged him anything, and see how he has treated me. Then Mary was very gracious to him, and tried to comfort him and told him that fortune had at any rate given him a loving wife. End of chapter 58